Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody welcome back to another edition of the teardown my name is jeff luck and along with my co-worker jordan bianchi we are motorsports writers for the athletic and today we're here to talk about the dover nascar race we're recording this on a monday afternoon not a sunday as we usually do because the race got postponed but i i feel bad because probably all of you weren't able to watch the race but those of us who were we actually got to see quite the uh, good Dover race, Jordan. Uh, what, quite the pleasant surprise, I would say. Yeah, in Dover is one of those races you look at in the calendar and you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, eh, it's Dover. It is what it is. It's, it's not anticipated. I think that's fair to say. It's not one of those races that people get excited about. This delivered. This was a really good race. This is one of the better Dover races in recent memory. A lot of action, a lot of different strategy. A lot of different things going on, and, and the three big storylines for me, anyway, coming out of this are one, Chase Elliott's win, his first on an oval since November 2020, which I think is a deal, a big deal. His crew chief, Alan Gustafson, kind of dismissed, dismissed it afterwards a little bit. I think it's notable. Um, the second thing is obviously the Martin Truex Jr., Ross Chastain uh, disagreement, if you will, and then the third one is what we talked about, which is Dover, which needed a big race, a, a good race in a big way. Yeah, well, I mean – I guess we could start with Elliot. Um, you know, it, a lot had been made obviously about the, uh, the lack of wins, which is a big storyline for sure. When it's the most popular driver, when it's the defending 2020 champion, he doesn't win on an oval all of last year. Um, he signs a contract extension this year and his teammates have been winning. He's not, but you know, you look at the, there has been opportunities where he could have won, um, his teammates had won. And so that maybe makes more pressure, but you know, he, he answered a, a question from Dan, Dan Gelson from the associated press by saying, look, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's Daytona when nobody has any win stickers yet or Phoenix for the championship race. I want to win just as bad every week. And, you know, he called the rest noise and understands that, you know, the media is doing its job. I, I kind of have a hard time totally, uh, you know, seeing that. Cause I think it would probably, make somebody upset when, you know, for instance, last year, Kyle Larson comes in and wins double digit races when you've been the guy. Um, and when your teammates are winning and you're not, um, but he says it didn't really matter to him. Um, but then that doesn't matter now because he's won as well. And he has a 50 point lead over Ryan Blaney. So he's sitting pretty now. Uh, all that pressure is off 11 races into the season. It's interesting. You say that, like, I don't think anyone was ever questioning, Chase Elliott's desire to win and saying, oh, he's not giving full effort. But see that to me, his answer. Well, but he was saying great. it didn't bother him. It didn't bother him. It didn't bother. It's fine. But like, when you don't win in an oval and you continue to have like the close calls, and they did have a lot of second place finishes. If you look at this stretch, especially to Kyle Larson, like you kind of got to wonder. And I think that you made a really good point, Jeff. And the fact that you go into last season, Chase Elliott's supposed to be the man, like he, this you know, second coming, he, Jimmy Johns retires. Chase Elliott's now Hendrick Motorsports. He's that organization. He's coming off a championship. And it was just kind of like it didn't happen. And it was like he got usurped by Kyle Larson. And it, it just to continue, like they've had a lot of issues with that team, like as good as they are. And it's funny because we've talked like how they're the point leader. They've been the point leader now for like the last six, seven weeks. They haven't looked like the point leader. They haven't raced like a points leader. And they get that win now, and now you kind of look at their season differently. But it's just that team has not been to the not performing to the level they needed to perform at. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. But it's just funny how quickly we we, we talk about this multiple times when we talk about some guys who could have won and how the narrative would have changed. The narrative has changed now because suddenly you look at it 
and all four Hendrick drivers are in the playoffs. They have five wins in the first 11 races. And suddenly you start going, Oh wow. New car and everything parody, (laughs) but Hendrick is, you know, still close to winning half the races, just like they were, you know, doing last year and, and just, they've, you know, been on a roll, new car, you know, maybe they're going to be just fine, especially as you start coming to these, you know, less wild card tracks, so to speak, you know, you've got a Darlington, a Kansas, a Charlotte coming up. Um, and you suddenly go, Whoa, watch out everybody. (laughs) This could be really, uh, the start of a, a Hendrick run or the continuation of a Hendrick run. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that, that was kind of the thought I had today too is, is watching the Hendrick cars and Bowman was in the mix and Larson looked like he had a good car until he had his issues. But Hendrick wins again and then Ross Chastain, another really good run. And, and this was a conversation we had last week and you wrote a great piece on The Athletic about this, about you know is there really a championship favorite? I do feel like my opinion has changed in a week. One, I think we need to give Ross, Ch- Ross Chastain the benefit of the doubt and look at what he's done and he's doing this week in and week out on different tracks. Like I know he's not done this before, but at some point you got the results are the results and he's doing it. And the second thing is, is Chase Elliott's got that win now. And like I said, you're looking at his season differently to me, even in a, in a year when there's this parody, it's like, I think Ross and Chase have now kind of put themselves on an upper level where we kind of have to look at them as quote unquote, the quote co-championship favorites. What about Byron? Byron's a, you know, Byron's a good case. I don't know if he's had the same consistency though out of that. Like he's got the two wins, which is good, but consistency we've seen out of, uh, out of out of Ross winning, leading a lot of laps, in contention to win races, having those two wins, and then obviously Chase being the points leader. That to me kind of separates those two guys from Byron right now. Well, and and another point before we move on to the Chastain Truex incident, um, you know Chevrolet. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I had an item in my top five from last week too, where I, I talked to Dr. Eric Warren about Chevrolet's early success with the next gen car. And now they've won seven out of the 11, uh, races so far this season. Uh, you've got the five Hendrick driver, uh, five Hendrick wins, and then two from Chastain. You've got a couple Ford wins and a couple Toyota wins, but Ford really doesn't look competitive at all. Um, Matt Gross, who I've cited several times on this podcast, uh, I really respect his opinions, and he's a longtime Ford fan. Um, he he sent me a text uh, observing that out of 55 possible top fives this season, Ford has 12. If you remove Daytona, it's just eight out of 50. So they're not really, you know, they don't seem to be in the same ballpark. And then Toyota, you know, they're just kind of hit and miss. Like today they looked pretty good. Kyle Busch probably could have won this race. Truex, you know, was probably going to be up. He was probably going to finish top five for sure until the, the Chastain thing late. Uh, Denny Hamlin, had he not, um, you know, even, even with, after his wheel thing, he came back, he was probably going to get a top five. Um, Cause I think at the time he wrecked with Cody Ware, he was fourth. Um, I, I don't know what happened to, well, Bell finished fourth. So, I mean, yeah. Bell had a really good rally. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, take out the 2311 cars. Uh, they, they've still struggled. But uh, the Gibbs cars, at least, you know, this was going to be one of their better races as a team overall. So, but that's, they're not consistent though. But, you know, Ford, it just doesn't seem like they regularly have the speed at all. No. I mean, Logano was out to lunch all day today. Ryan Blaney had a really weird day. Um, had some tire issues way early. They came back from the rain delay. They made massive adjustments to that car. He actually, you know, won a stage. The curious thing with Blaney, though, is like he, he's been really good this year, led a lot of laps. But like today, like they take themselves out of the races. Like a lot of curious pit calls, a lot of races where they have speed, but they don't get the results. Today was that, you know, they ended up finishing two laps down because of some pit strategy things that they just, it makes you, it makes you scratch your head. And well, they stayed out the, to win uh, that, to try to win that stage, stage. right? Yep. Which they did on old tires, which they did, which but is then fine. he had to give up all his point. track position, restart at the back, got a green flag run, got lapped. And I guess that was the end of that Your day's over. Yeah. Like, I mean, in the moment it felt like a curious decision. Like uh, to me, if you're that team, like I get you're racing for the playoff point and you want the bonus points, but like, you got a chance to leave here with a good finish and you're in the points mix too. They were neck and neck with Elliot in the points title race. And it's still a long way to go. We'll say this about the Forge and you're right. Uh, short horse racing, uh, you know, Kevin Harvick is just kind of, they're, they're doing their thing and that you can kind of see them kind of getting 
their legs underneath them a little bit. Chase Briscoe is really hit or miss. Cole Custer's out to lunch. Eric Almirola has been better than we thought, but he's not lighting the world on fire. And then RFK, by the way, is starting to see some life out of them a little bit. Uh, Chris Boucher uh, came in, wins the poll, has a good top 10 run. Keselowski had a decent run going, faded at the end. But like you say, though, there's not one guy in the Ford camp that you look at and say, you know, every single week that this guy is going to be in the mix where you, you kind of get that sense. And, you know, in the Toyota and Chevy camp, like there's guys you look at and go, they're going to be here. Yeah, I just, you know, it just feels like Chevy has so much strength throughout um, throughout their top teams. Uh, mm-hmm. because it, it, you, I mean, look, Suarez, the, the pressure's probably starting to build on Suarez because Chastain keeps having great runs, but you would assume that Suarez at some point is going to get things going. You would assume that Tyler Reddick is going to have a weekend where, you know, things don't continue to happen at some point. Now, often those, those have been self-inflicted, but, um, you know, we, we still feel like Chastain's going to, or, or Reddick's going to be good. Uh, Eric Jones, uh, this was a great day for Eric Jones because uh, he got a top 10, vaulted up three three spots in the standings, and is now, I believe, inside the playoff picture. Um, so, you know, Chevy, it just feels like many Chevys can, uh, are, are capable of going out and having a great day where um, you just can't say the same for, for the other manufacturers at the moment. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that evolves, I guess. It's, it's just been... Uh, it's just it's just so funny because so much of the the season has been about you know the parody and different names and stuff and then you look at it and you know you, you sort of take that step back and you go well still Hendrick you know still Hendrick and it's, and it's Ross Chastain I mean it's like it's it's it we're starting to get now the same cast of characters in the mix a little bit on a weekly basis and that and that's why I feel like in a week my opinion has changed of like, I do think we're starting to get some clarity now uh, on who we think can be the, the favorites. Yeah. Well, we're going to have, I think Larry Max out on the broadcast, we're going to have a lot more yeah. clarity after, at the end of this month because uh, they race so many times in May. Um, and, and so many of these tracks are sort of what we think of more as the traditional type tracks. You know, you're not saying, well, you got to throw out Bristol dirt. You got to throw out Talladega. You got to throw out Atlanta reconfigured super speedway style. I mean, these are, you know, Dover, Darlington, Texas All-Star Race, Kansas, Charlotte. Um, yeah. You know, those are, I, I really feel like, yeah, by the time you get through Memorial Day weekend, it's going to be like, okay, we're, we're getting mm-hmm. some, we're getting some clarity now, but. I agree. Yeah. I agree with that thing. And I think we're going to have some idea. You, you look back a year ago, Martrix Jr. won at Darlington, Kyle Larson won at Charlotte, and both of those guys moved on into the final four at the end of the year. Chase Elliott was in the mix throughout that as well. Danny Hamlin was up there as well. So it's like we kind of had we had a really good picture coming out of uh, a year ago, coming out of this month of who was who was what and where things stood. I think that's going to be again be the case. So we mentioned Chastain, we mentioned Truex. They <laughs> battled hard throughout the race. Truex was behind him um, and and upset. Uh, you know, at one point said he was mirror driving. Um, and you know, at the end there, you know, initially was, and he said some very mean words on the radio, Jeff, I, I, I can't repeat that. I initially thought that Truex finally <laughs> lost his cool and tried to bump Chastain and, um, you know, end up spinning himself out. But then it, you know, once I watched the replay again, I was like, oh, you know, Chastain kind of threw a block there and, and, you know, I, I shouldn't have doubted the clean, always clean racing Truex, but obviously Truex was upset, went down, uh, they, the cameras caught him you know, giving Chastain sort of a lecture didn't seem like Chastain had much to say. And then Chastain, um, you know, just said they were talking about fishing or whatever, but, um, you know, uh, Chastain (laughs) continues to, you know, he's, he's always going to be that type of, he's, he's not going to make many friends out there. He's not going to make many friends, but, but yeah, I was going to say real quick, I wanted to ask you, it's fine. I think when you're winning, and if you can outrun them and all that stuff, but <laughs> Ross Chastain being the type that doesn't make many friends, will that come back to bite him? If we start talking about a deep playoff run, because that's, if people are going to be like, well, you know, I'll race you how you race me. Once you get in the playoffs, that might not be very helpful. Yeah. You make a really good point. I mean, I'll flip this on you, Jeff. I have a question for you. I don't remember Martin Truex Jr walking down pit road and having a post-race discussion upset with somebody. Now it was a very calm and like, it was, as, you know, 
uh, it was on the meter of you know upset. Truex looked like a, a two maybe, but I don't remember seeing that out of Truex before him walking down and talking to somebody. Do you? Hmm, not really. I mean, Truex, you know, he's obviously given some fiery interviews where he's vowed revenge. Like, obviously, the the one that comes to mind was Sonoma Jeff Gordon years ago, where sure. he's like, I'm gonna get him back, and he never did. Um, How can you forget Logano? Yeah, you you may have won the battle but you're not going to win the war and then Logano win the championship win the war yeah (laughs) yeah um so yeah you know there's been those those interviews where he's you know sort of talked big but you're right as far as going down to actually talk to somebody you don't see that very often and really for you know he's a calm guy so that's about as upset as he gets right yeah um but I don't think that's you know going to change anything about Chastain how Chastain races, how Chastain feels about it. I don't think Chastain's going to be like, oh, I'll, I'll race him, you know, a bit, you know, give him more room next time. I mean, Chastain's going to do Chastain. Uh, just And he should. Well, I mean, uh, should he? Yeah, I, I, to answer your, your question you asked me, I think he should. I mean, he, he is not as aggressive as he was the last few years. You know, he's, he has kind of molded and he does pick and choose his spots a little bit more. That said, he's still very aggressive. Well, wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. This was for third place in a race that neither of them were going to win on the last lap. The white flag had already been taken. Um, Now he's, you know, Truex might have been frustrated before, but if he, you know, just races him clean there, Truex is probably not as frustrated. And they say, hey, that was a good battle all day long or something. Maybe they shake hands more kind of thing. Now he's created an enemy. And again, if we're talking about, you know, you know, Justin Marks and Ross Chastain last week after Talladega, oh, we're not thinking about playoffs at all, which is fine. And, and you know, for a team that really had didn't have those kind of championship aspirations before the season, you wouldn't expect them to. But at some point, if you, you know, throughout the summer, you're going to be like, all right, look, the playoffs are coming up. How do we want to race here? Um, I, I just, I feel like that could come back to bite someone. Now, Shurex is not the kind of guy that's going to wreck somebody. Or make contact. I say that. I say you say that though. And as we're talking about this, we talk about how Truex is very mild mannered and not so. I keep having flashbacks to Matt Kenseth though, because we at one time we would have said this about Matt Kenseth, and then he just snapped. Remember? So I mean, you, you don't know. You push somebody to a breaking point. Sometimes they do things that they don't think they're going to do, and they end up doing them. Yeah. Well, I guess either way, we're kind of making the same point, which is that you don't want to keep, you don't want to make too many enemies. You don't want to poke too many people. Um, I'm not saying it can't be done. Uh, you know, you can certainly just outrun people in the championship race and win it, but, um, you know, you got to get there first and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, it, but you know, again, that's not going to change how Ross Chastain races because he's always going to be aggressive. He's always going to be going for it. And that's how he's gotten to this point in the first place. But, um, sometimes you have to, you know, maybe look at the big picture a little bit more at some point you might have to. Yeah, no, I, and I would agree with that. And I say this is probably a lack of experience in this moment of racing up front, that kind of thing. But I do say third is, you know, racing for third is much different than racing for 20. And if you're going to race hard, third's a good one to do it for. Um, did see a quote come across my Twitter feed. Ross said, hey, you know, I should have been smarter than that last lap. I pushed him high. I shouldn't have done that. So a little bit of ownership from him, which is good if you're trying to, you know, squelch this and put out the fire before it becomes an inferno. That's a good thing to say. But back to my point, though, like, Ross has had a lot of success because he is aggressive and he, he's, he's, he's picking his spots and he's, you know, he's not afraid to back down. And that's, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to go way too way far away from that. Yeah. Well, um, we, you, what was your third, uh, storyline? You, you, we talked about, um, yeah, yeah. you said Dover. Oh, Dover in general, Dover in general. Dover needed a big race. When uh-huh. we talked mm-hmm. about this, I wrote about last week. There's been a lot of, you know, murmurs and really since Dover got bought about like, what is Dover's future? They've lost one date. What's their future? So does this save it? I, I don't want to fall. I don't want to say that because we don't know. I, I mean, I don't, they weren't in, from what I understand, they weren't in danger of losing a race. No, no, year. no. But I'm saying, does this, did this save the racing? Is it salvaged? I think it, it helps. It, it puts a dam up of all that talk of like, now you can actually point to a race and say, hey, you know what, man, these had a good race. Like that helps. And it also helps that they had a darn good crowd yesterday from everything we saw like that. You sell tickets like that. And then you put on a race like you had yesterday and today. That goes a long way to putting out any, you know, fires that are, are out there about, uh, I don't know about their place. Like this, this, this was good. They needed this in a big way. Well, look, Dover for a while could not take out 
seats fast enough. I mean, there was one point, except for the um, sort of the the horse racing club there at the casino on the backstretch. I mean, the stands were three quarters of the way around that place, and they've been tearing them out, tearing them out, you know, covering up with banners, all that stuff. I mean, Dover, I think at one point, I want to say they had 140,000 seats or something like that. And it, it, it was, uh, you know, it was, they, they would always draw big crowds and, you know, the racing just hasn't been that good. Um, there hadn't been a, a decent Dover race in, in quite a while. Um, you know, the, I, I think the, the last generation of car just didn't race that great there for whatever reason. But I, you know, I felt like there've been good, I've seen do, good Dover races before and even great Dover races, but you know, it's almost hard to remember that that exists. So I think this was a, a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, you had a lot of, uh, there was 13 cautions. You had uh, 17 lead changes, 10 different leaders. Um, these were all numbers that were more than we've seen in recent years. Um, and I think the tires were a huge deal. Um, you know, yes, there was tire, you know, they were coming apart a little bit. So it wasn't just like a normal tire wear, like as in Darlington, you know, I, I think you would rather just have the tires wear, but the tires also were not blowing out. They were not popping. They were starting to unravel. They were starting to cord. And, um, you know, that, that, yeah, yes, it's, that's still not great necessarily that, you, you know, you don't want them to come apart, but it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't crashing anybody. So, you know, given the tire allotment, um, they, they were having to conserve them a little bit. They had to, they all had to back it down the last run because that last run of, uh, 53 laps. I think that might've been the longest green run of the day. And I was like, well, I mean, it looks like they're barely able to go 40, 45 laps without somebody's tire coming apart. They all made it. So, you know, it's possible, right? I guess. And, uh, I think those things added to a good race. Goodyear got it right. Um, for whatever reason, the tire, the car, the track all worked together. And, uh, those things made it a good race, even though the, the last 53 laps went green. You know, you didn't you didn't have a great finish, but it was still a good race, you know. And and it didn't feel like a runaway. It, it didn't feel like Chase Elliott was going to run away. This was Chase Elliott's race to lose. It, it felt like any moment we're going to have a tire issue, we could have a caution. It's just there was all these like things. It was in doubt until the end, which is not you know even though the margin of victory was a little bit more spread out. I loved it. I love that this was a tire management race. I love the fact that it was okay. How do we you know the different strategy elements that were involved, and it's like okay, well, we only have certain allotment of tires. You know, how do we manage that and get through this? And you kind of thought at one point, I think it was like 100 laps to go thereabouts, a little over 100 to go. You're like, okay, these guys got, some of these guys have one or two sets of tires, or two, two sets of tires. It's like, are they going to be able to get through the last you know, 100 laps? It was like, it's interesting. It created a natural drama. And I thought you made a really good point when we were kind of talking about this race. It's like, you fix the tire, like you get tire wear in a race. It's a really good way, easy way to, it seems like to fix the quality of racing. Well, no, what I was saying was, I'm trying to give you credit here. Limiting their tire allotment is a really easy way to do it because you don't yeah. even have to do yeah. anything. If you, it, well, of course you could have races where the tires don't wear at all and they're hard as a rock. So you would have to change that. But as long as you have a little bit of tire wear, if you keep them in a tight, a pretty tight box on how many tires they can get, all of a sudden you're introducing uh, strategy and shaking up the field by nature because some cars are going to stay out. Some are going to pit. Um, and then you create comers and goers because some are yeah. on new tires, some are on old tires. So even without having to really, you know, change the car, the package, whatever, just by keeping them limited on tires that can make help make a good race in itself. Absolutely. Um, and Dale jr. Was making some great points on Twitter about, you know, please don't give them another set. Yes. Don't bail them out, which NASCAR has done before. Yeah, right. They have done that. And kudos to them for not doing it today. Yes. That would have really, that would have been an unfair thing to some of these guys who, who manage their tires effectively and other team who guys who didn't. And that, and that has happened before. I was trying to figure out what race it was that was in my mind. And I think it was a, there was a 2014 playoff race at Texas, or I guess it was a chase race at the time. And, uh, in the middle of the race, NASCAR decided to give everybody, let them buy one more set of tires, but some teams had already sort of committed to a strategy and then they got another, another set of tires. So it, it, it screwed some people up and that was in the playoffs. So yes, I, I agree. Great call on, um, not doing that today, not giving into that temptation because of course, 
I'm sure some crew chiefs, the very first thing is that they start running low on tires. Hey, NASCAR, give us another set. We might need another set. You know, we're not going to be able to make it through the race. But Like a kid who goes through his candy, like eats all his candy and his buddy over here. Like you got two kids. They have the same amount of candy. One kid plows through his candy and he's like, I want more candy. I want more candy. The other kid's like, no, look at me. I rationed my candy. And then the mom ends up giving the other kid candy because, you know, he's whining. I'm surprised you know anything about kids. How do you parenting, know anything about pa- kids? You, parenting things easy, man. Y'all make this hard, you know, too harder than it is. It's really not oh, that complicated. Oh, gosh. This it's upsets really me. Dumb. This upsets me almost much as much as Kyle Bush's clickbait shirt. But uh, <laughs> Seriously. I, everything I needed, everything there is learned about parenting, I, I could teach you from having a dog. It's really the same lesson. Firm, fun, and, 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 and uh, fair, firm, and fun. That's what I need. You know what you need. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. I, I really appreciate that advice. Um, no by the way, since I, I mentioned it real quick, uh, Kyle Bush, I mean, you know, he, yeah. he led triple digit laps, um, for the first time since, uh, the Bristol 2020, uh, playoff race, September, 2020. Um, so that was, uh, 103 laps he led and, and he was gonna look like he was in pretty good shape there until just a terrible timed caution with that wheel. What's that? Well, I was going to say, but that was one of the things. It was like tire strategy and management, how you manage your tires that, that factored into that today. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a, it was very unfortunate though. The timing when sure. you, I mean, no. Almondinger's tires coming off they are rolling down. It ends up rolling down to the apron. It, it was very hard to tell on TV when, because they didn't, you know, they were calling it on TV. They're like, Oh, there's a tire rolling down the track. Like 30 seconds later, you see it, um, on the replay, but we didn't, we didn't really have a sense of like, um, when the caution came out as opposed to when it was off the track, because when first, when I saw it up against the wall there, I'm like, wait a minute now, like, could they have not let this pit cycle go? You know, like how IndyCar does when they're about to have a caution, you know, let, let everybody go through the pit. So it doesn't, you know, mess up the running order. Um, you know, obviously NASCAR is looking at a tire as a safety issue, but when, when was the timing? I, I don't know. I can't, I can't say, obviously we weren't there. So, um, yes, but, uh, you know, Kyle Bush, that, that would have been, you know, talk about the narrative changing. It would have been, um, another win for him this year. It would have been a dominant win, uh, another win on his birthday. Uh, and you would have been, we would have been talking about, Oh, Kyle Bush now has two wins. Is he a championship type guy? You know, maybe he's starting to emerge all this contract talk. It got him fired up. You know, he's racing for his, his next deal, all these, all these things. Um, but not the case. No, and it flipped, and he had a really good car today. And let me question for you: Do you count his first win as an actual win since it happened at Bristol Dirt? Is that count in your book? Well, even if not, he was going to win Vegas until another bad timed caution. So, um, you know, he he kind of lost one at Vegas, got one back at Bristol Dirt, even though even he wasn't going to win Bristol Dirt. Uh, now he didn't. He was going to win this one maybe today, didn't win it. So maybe he'll get another one. He'll back into another one. <laughs> um, to make up for it. But what, what did you think about his, his clickbait shirt? Uh, I, I was annoyed by it, to be honest with you. I thought it was a really, like, it's fair. Your contract is, you, you're one of NASCAR's biggest stars. You're the only active two-time champion. And your contract is up at the end of the year. You're going to be asked about it. That That's just the way it is across sports. And in NASCAR, the questions are a lot softer than they are in other sports. Like, I don't think you can take umbrage with the fact that people are going to ask you about your contract. And let's be honest, he hasn't gotten many questions about his contract since the year started. Like that was, this has been about it. So I just thought it was really, I don't know. I I don't agree with it. I just thought it was, I just, I don't get the frustration. Like, well, of course you're going to be asked about it. What, what, What do you expect? I don't even think, you know, the, I don't think the clickbait was being asked about it. He, he said in his press conference this weekend that he felt his short answers were quote taken out of context, which I don't agree with that. Well, I mean, look, we, we were standing there and at Talladega for his media availability. We, you know, and, and he was short at first, well, he was short the whole time, but you know, he says, you know, I I had said, "Are, are you getting antsy about it? I've said, when do you want to get a deal done yesterday? Oh, are you getting antsy about it? You know, it is what it is. Uh, if it happens, it happens. Doesn't, doesn't. Goodbye. And then so Jenna goes, oh, is goodbye an option? Ask Joe Gibbs, right? So then it goes on and on. I mean, people kept asking follow-up questions like, wait a minute, what's he saying here? We didn't just yeah. stop and write stories of clickbait like Kyle Bush said. You know, it, it would be like if he said. Um, he had a 
Yeah, oh, I don't know. Maybe I could be back. I don't know. And then we all wrote, Kyle Bush says he could leave. That would be clickbait. But everybody, we asked six, seven follow-up questions, you know, all this stuff. And at one point, Jenna even, you know, he goes, he says to Jenna, oh, seriously, are we doing this? And she's like, well, I'm just trying to get clarity on what you're saying here. So he opened the door on it. Then, to, so then, to, yes. So then to come into the press conference wearing a t-shirt that says clickbait because he's, he's the one that sparked all the conversation, you know what I'm saying? All week. And yes, yes, it was a conversation topic all week because a future hall of fame driver, one of the best drivers ever is hinting that he would be open to leaving his current team in the prime of his career. Yeah. People are going to talk about that. Um, but you know, to me, clickbait, um, that, that's sort of like, that's saying, I hate that phrase. I that, hate it. Well, as a journalist, that's like the worst, probably the worst thing, uh, well, one of the worst things somebody could say about your work, right? Because they're saying this wasn't worth my time. This was shallow, uh, a piece that was hollow or, you know, a cheap way to get me to the look at your me. work without any substance. And yeah, so, I mean, of course, maybe we're being overly sensitive about it, but it's kind of, you know, just like, what the hell, man? Like, you're, we didn't do this. Yeah, here's two things. One, Kyle could have squelched any issue when he was asked about that he could have said listen i don't want to talk about it and just stopped it there or he could have said hey yeah we're figuring this out i want to return to joe gibbs racing and i'm not looking anything out. like you could have just ended it there right there and that would have been it and and then when you wear the shirt this weekend it just brings up rehashes everything that's happened over the last week like if the idea is to move past this and not to you know talk about this like you wearing a clickbait shirt guess what everybody's like why is he wearing a clickbait shirt well that's because of this happened it's just it just you go down this rabbit hole again well and the other op the other side of that is let's say he was trying to make it known and put pressure on joe gibbs racing that they hadn't resent him yet and he's trying to put pressure on them for a deal through the media there's also other ways to do that and say yeah. well you know I, I don't have a contract and i'm gonna be forced to look other places um, if I don't get a deal done soon, because, you know, yeah, I've got to talk to other teams. I'm, I'm talking to other people. Um, you know, we, we, looks like we might not be able to work something out. That's another thing too, but either way, don't then turn it around and call us clickbait for what you said, you know? Yeah. yeah and again, like you, you could handle it so many different ways. And it's, uh, I just, I don't, and I, I understand the, you know, there's a lot of frustration going on right now with Kyle. Like he doesn't have a new contract. He wants this result. Like he wanted this result, as he said to you, like he wanted this result yesterday and it hasn't, but like Joe Gibbs racing knows this Toyota knows this. They, they want to resolve this. It's not like they're like dragging their feet. Like, Oh, Hey, yeah, well we got to figure Like They want to figure this out, but like there's other factors to consider and they have to get that sorted out before they can circle back to Kyle. It's not, it's not a, it's not because they're, they, they don't want to. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, <laughs> I'm I'll, I'll admit to everybody who's probably listening going, Oh, you're, you're just being, you know, too sensitive about no. this. People might even be throwing out a snowflake for, for us on no, this one, I mean, but I, I personally just kind of like, okay. It's like, a legit question. I don't, I don't think we did anything to uh, be labeled with that and not we specifically, but just the media. I feel like the media was respectful and tried to do a good job of understanding what he was trying to say and then yeah, anyway, um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, look for NASCAR right now in terms of the point standings, things seem to continue to be going up and down. The playoff picture, uh, is very much unresolved, but one thing I think that we can maybe start to throw out is that there will be like 16 different winners. Uh, you've had two guys <laughs> who have won. Well, no, I'm, I'm just saying, let's, can we, can we I threw that out like week one? Like that was never going to happen. I'm sorry. I thought you said at one point that maybe, you know, no. you're starting to think, okay. No, I never thought I've always been on the other camp. I, I laugh and scoff at this. Cause I just think it's just, we get this every single year. Like, Oh, is there going to be more than 16 winners? Like calm down. Calm now down. I, I do think this conversation could have been reopened. Now, even though there's two guys with multiple wins, had Ricky Stenhouse jr. Won this race today from, you know, he's 27th in points now, moved up four spots. But had someone like that come out of complete nowhere to steal a race, make the playoffs, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, um, you're having some guys we really don't expect. And then you would have still said, well, Chase is still going to win a race. Blaney's still going to win a race. 
um, Truex, uh, you know, people like that, Logano maybe, although, I, you know, Logano now hasn't won since Bristol Dirt last year, so it's kind of like if that's you don't have the clash. That's, uh, that's a team that has really gone the other direction in a long time. We, we talked a lot about Chase's winless streak. We've talked a lot about Harvick's winless streak, but like as you said, Jeff, I mean, Logano's, it's over a year now, and that's – they, I'd have to go back and look, but it doesn't. They've been in close. They've had opportunities here and there, but not a lot. Like they're not running like they usually are. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting because we were just sort of taking it for granted that a lot of these bigger names, at some point, oh, you know, they're going to win at some point. Well, I mean, there's 15 races left in the regular season. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to miss the playoffs. Uh, in in Logano's case, he's ninth in points, but you know, at some point you're going to be like, wow, some of these guys, I mean, you know, time's running out a little bit here. I mean, I look at, you know, look, look what happens. Look what's happened to Kurt Busch. Um, you know, a, another finish outside the top 30 today, I think his fourth finish outside the top 30 in the last six races. Uh, he's fallen to 20th in the point standings. Kurt Busch is, I mean, really not in the playoff conversation at all at this point. Uh, and, and both 2311 cars are, are 20th and 21st. So we talked about for a while, oh, Kurt's outrunning Bubba. What's going on here? Well, now they're just separated by just 10 points in the standings. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, you know, uh, all of a sudden you start to think, is Kurt going to miss the playoffs even on points? I don't know. I mean, you just start to, you know, it's, it's just coming a little bit clearer now as guys start to separate themselves a little bit and we see the performance that's going back to some of these tracks. Um, going back to your Chastain point earlier, just to, to put a cherry on top of that, I I think, you know, the more he comes out and runs well, you're like, okay, yes, this guy is for real. You know, you keep waiting for him to fall off. Doesn't happen. You're like, okay, now this guy's for real. But then you look at Suarez and you're like, is he even going to make the playoffs? Um, so I, yes, we are starting to see a little bit of separation and it's going to be fascinating to see, see how that unfolds. I go back and I, I go back to the point. I, even if Stenhouse would have won today, wouldn't change my opinion. You get these surprise winners. You had Michael McDowell a year ago. You had Eric Almarola at New Hampshire a year ago win. Like you get these guys throughout the course of the year who are like on, uh, you know, out of nowhere. Like it, it doesn't change the narrative. It's typically two to four guys who make the playoffs on points. That's what it is every single year. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but it's going to be really hard to think that is. I never thought that was going to change. We'll see. Um, I just, I don't know. We'll see. I just, I don't see it. I do not see it. I, I think you could have put a bow on that. I think you could have put a pin in that balloon weeks ago. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the good race poll now since we've been on the topic of Dover before we move on to some of the other topics of this podcast. So... You know, when you look back at, at Dover races, um, I mentioned the one Dover race that um, got a 92.6% in the poll. That was 2016, uh, the first Dover, uh, yeah. where Kenseth won. That was a really good race, obviously. He felt, yeah, he, he thundered off Larson that day. Yeah, and and Larson was – I wasn't that – Larson and Elliott were both trying to go for their first win still at that point? First they career were – uh, Maybe? Yes. That, anyway. Uh, Yes, and that was and the narrative out of that was Larson raced Kenseth too, too did clean. Larson race Kenseth too clean? Right, right. I remember. Because, that. And Larson had not won a race yet because his first in win didn't come until Michigan later that year, and everybody was like, "Well, wait a second, he hasn't won a race yet. Why, wait, wait, you know, what's going on here? Why aren't you being more aggressive and going for it?" So after that ninety-two point six percent Dover race, the next highest Dover race in the history of the was it a good race poll is only 77%, and that was the 2017 spring race won by Jimmy Johnson. After that, get this, the third highest Dover race in the poll out of the 11 so far is 62.5. So (laughs) only two Dover races since the poll started in 2016 have gotten above 63%. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's like when we say there hasn't been many good races, Dover, good Dover races, that that hits at home right there. Um, so all that said, Jordan, you you unfortunately came up short on the Talladega poll last week. It was higher than we both thought, but um, you get to guess first. Oh no, I have to guess first. I have to guess first because I won. Yeah. I'm not used to winning anymore. I'm sorry, I'm not used to winning anymore since you had won two in a row. That's... Okay. Anyway, so here here's some of the factors I, I want to talk about first. I think number one, um, and and I didn't get to touch on this. And let's let me take a pause for a minute. I, I think it's very unfortunate that um, Dover had such a good crowd and not everybody could come back today. Um, I think of like um, a couple race fans I know, Joe and Christina Conrad. I actually stayed at their house when I was in the jeffgluck.com days and was trying to save uh, on budgets. They go to one race a year, Dover. They live uh, in Delaware. Neither th- They were there yesterday. Neither of them could come back today because they both had work. There was no way they could take off work um, on a Monday. And this was their one chance to go all year. They were extremely disappointed, right? So, And you understand that. I, I saw tweets from several people um, that they weren't able to come back today. It looked like a, a decent amount of people came back, but not everybody could. It's very, it's just very unfortunate because, you know, as we discussed, NASCAR is essentially a uh, slave to TV's whims and, uh, TV wants these later start times. We, I tweeted a screenshot from, um, last year where we got this really in-depth informative discussion with Brian Herbst from NASCAR and, you know, he laid it out like the, the audience. And, and I think a lot of people misinterpreted my tweet in terms of like thinking it was all about the West Coast. Oh, we're doing these late start times for the West Coast audience. It's not just that. It's that more people, even on the East Coast, are home later on Sunday nights from whatever they're doing on Sundays. It's not just the West Coast. Everybody, the later as in the days you get on Sunday, NASCAR has done the research. They feel like it unlocks a bigger audience. And the more audience you can unlock, the more chance you're going to get to have higher ratings, which let's face it, helps the TV network sell advertising, uh, and increased numbers help everybody in the sport. Essentially it helps NASCAR get more of a TV deal down the road, uh, as they negotiate for these things. And so unfortunately NASCAR is, is determined, like we may have to give up, uh, we may have to lose a couple races per year to, rain to mother nature when we have these late start times races that we could have got in had we started them at noon or one o'clock but they end up not getting in because you know dover has no lights like pocono or in new hampshire um and they've said look it it sucks but we feel we have to do this because we've got to unlock that audience so it's a real dilemma and it's it's a real problem uh i hate it uh i i would wish that all races would start at one o'clock Mike Hembry is fond of tweeting that God intended all races to start at one o'clock. Um, but unfortunately it's just not reality. And as with green flag commercials, I, I just don't see it changing. Uh, I just, I can't, I can't envision a time or a scenario where it would change anytime soon. Uh, I hate this topic because it's just, I'm so tired of it. Like, I agree. Like in a perfect, at least I feel bad for the fans who, who this is their one NASCAR race or they're going to the race and it got rained out and they couldn't come back. That sucks. I understand. But this is about the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is NASCAR's television contract matters more than anything else. That is what drives this sport, the money generated from that. And NASCAR wants to put its product before the most eyeballs possible. That means starting the races later. That means catering to your TV partners and all of the studies and data that they collect and look at, and they realize that this is the best way to do it. If you think NASCAR wants to have a round, no, absolutely not. They want to be before the biggest audience. Pop. Every sport is doing this. They're they're shifting their games to get them before the most eyeballs possible. Baseball for a longest time ever only played games during the day, and then they went to nights. It's it just. Things evolve, and this is part of the evolution. And I'm sorry that fans are, are, are kind of get sucked by this, and that there's rainouts, and that the one race they were going to go to a year, you know, they can't go to. That sucks. I'm sorry. Best thing I'd say is you're going to be able to get a refund, and you can plan a different trip. But they, you have to look at the big picture, and the big picture is it makes the most sense. You're not going to be able to get a refund if you traveled there and spent the money on the travel to get there and see 50 laps. You might be able to, 
get a refund on you tickets can, for another get, SMI race or whatever. Yeah, but. That, that, that is true. That, that is true. And that that's unfortunate, but I, I don't know. But if it, again, it, you go to a baseball game, it's the same thing. I mean, I lived in Minnesota and when I used to cover the twins, like there was people that came from the Dakotas or Iowa to cover the twins. And when they moved to their outdoor stadium, there'd be rainouts and like, cause they came from a dome and they like, Oh, well we've traveled all this way. What do we, it, it's just the unfortunate reality. Like, what do you do with so, I mean, you want to move it back to one o'clock. Great. You're kicking, you're telling NASCAR then to say, Hey, I'm sorry, we're going to forego these millions of dollars and, and putting our races before a bigger audience. That doesn't make any sense. This is a business. How do you, I mean, if it goes more, you know, streaming or something, I mean, maybe that could change, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's obviously in a, in a sense, I'm not going to say, I don't know if the right terms artificial, but you're trying to inflate the ratings by moving the races, right? Of like, course, but they're threatening to do that by by having a Bristol dirt race, by by, by all these different means. They're trying to art, they're trying to juice the ratings, like that. They, of course, they are, but everyone is. Okay, well, that much. what's your ex? You know, as as literally hundreds of people yelled at me on Twitter yesterday, uh, they they found some irony in you know, okay, we've got to start these races at three o'clock or whatever, three thirty. Um, and then they do a rain out and they say, okay, we'll start it at noon. Yeah. And that becomes a thing. Of, I mean, my understanding is that is get the team home as quick as possible at that point, because I get it, but it, what, where does the TV rating come into the bigger picture there? Because in a sense you it's could part of your sunk cost. Like you've already sunk at this point. It's one of your two races you're going to throw away and say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're willing to throw away two races a year. Okay. This well, the, the forecast gonna- was, the forecast was fine for today. You would have had people that actually could have, at least on the East Coast, gotten home to watch the end of the race because it was a three-hour, 58-minute race from what I'm looking at. Um, so they would have been able to see the finish of the race had the race started at 3.30 today. It actually would have benefited them because but many then, people then didn't get to watch team, the race you, at all. Then you stick it to your teams, though. Then, then, you, then you're, you're starting to spend a spend three hours extra? Three hours extra plus... plus tear down time and everything else. And they wouldn't have gotten home until late tonight or tomorrow. Like I mean, it's so, an East coast race. They're like, what, what Dover's probably, I don't know what six and a half hours, hours from seven hours, away seven hours. Away. Okay. Like it's a no one's the, the bet. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about the, the, the semantics of a Monday race. It's a scheduled postponement that happens. Like it, it sucks. But like the big thing is getting your race on Sunday is getting that late afternoon into the evening time slot. That is indisputable. Well, should you require all tracks to have lights then? I would agree with that. That is, I agree with that. Like it is, I do not, I know it's expensive and it's really easy to spend other people's money, but this is not like it's a new issue. Like you go, but why Pocono? Why New Hampshire? Why Dover? And you want to throw Indianapolis in there too. Like Michigan doesn't have lights. Michigan. And that's for, another late start. I agree. And like, and again, and it's summer and I know they're, you know, so you get a little bit more of a window there and, you know, they're racing in August and the sun you know, doesn't send until eight ish or whatever. So a little bit more. Well, anyway, regardless, if you're going to have these late starts, I do think you have to require your tracks to have lights because you have to put, you have to like figure out a way to lengthen that window if there is rain, because now like with the scenario we saw, like you get rain on Sunday at Dover, you're pretty much screwed. But if you've got lights, you're like, well, wait, you know, we can try to maybe make, you know, maybe start this at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. It's not a complete loss cause. Yeah. Well, I don't see, I don't see that happening. Unfortunately, just like I don't see the going to earlier start times or eliminating green flag commercials. Uh, I just think it's, it's frustrating, but, um, anyway, so we were talking about the, was it a good race poll? And I was about to make a guess <laughs> before I got completely sidetracked. Um, anyway, my point was in bringing this up, I'm not, I think it might get downvoted by a certain percentage of people who did not get to watch the race are upset about either having to go home uh, or, you know, people that had to work, go to school and miss the race. And they're just going to say, no, it wasn't a good race because I didn't get to watch it. So I, I think that could hurt it a little bit. Um, now, Chase Elliott winning, maybe some people, you know, think that's a good race automatically, no matter what. So you might get a, a a percentage of that that offsets it. I think those who watched the race would have a hard time saying that wasn't a good race because especially by Dover standards, it was quite the pleasant surprise. It was a good race in my opinion. So to me, it should be in the eighties. It should at least be above the 77% that was the second highest Dover race. It should, this race should become the second highest Dover race in the poll. All that said, I'm going to say 83%. Oh, damn it. Just go higher, lower. Don't worry about it. Just do right. point one I'm, higher I thought, lower. I was, 
Yeah, I was going to say 82%. They can't go 85, though. I'll say 80%. Why don't you just stick with 82? Don't let me talk you out of a potential winning. No, because I'm not going to do the dollar prices right thing and and be that person. You were already going to say 82. It wasn't like you're reacting to my guess. You already had it in your head. You talk, I'm just going with 80. Leave me alone. 80 for Jordan, 83 for me. We will settle this at the Miami Grand Prix where we will be next weekend. Now, talk about um, frustrating start times. We will be, both be on the ground at Miami. Miami race lights out for Formula One goes is it, of course, Formula One, when they say lights out, that's like pretty much exact. So that race will start at 3.30 Eastern. NASCAR's listed start time is 3.30 Eastern for Darlington. And so it'll probably start maybe, I don't know, 3.45, something like that. It's only a 400-mile race instead of 500 miles, but still probably going to take three-ish hours or whatever. So, you know, the F1 race will probably be done by the end of stage two of NASCAR. So we should be able to watch some, but we're not going to be able to watch as much NASCAR as we normally do for sure. They're going to be on going head to head at the exact same time. You find fault with any of that at all? Uh, no, I mean, it makes sense from formula one's perspective. If you're trying to capture eyeballs, in the United States and the time to do it is Sunday afternoon. I mean, you can't, we just talked about it. You can't run, you can't run at night in Miami. They don't have lights there. So that's the optimal time. And that's, it makes sense. I'm curious to see what this is going to be like in terms of head to head. You go back a year ago to Coda, there was a lot of talk about it. NASCAR still did a higher television rating. We'll see if this is the same case this go-round. Uh, but I will say, as someone who, who does this all the time, like it is really good to have multiple devices because I know on the media center in Miami, I will have on my computer, I'll be watching the NASCAR race in front of me, and I will also have the Miami Grand Prix in front of me as well. Well, I, I, I certainly expect NASCAR to come out ahead in the TV ratings head-to-head, even though— The demographic, though, is going to be something else. The 18 to 49 year olds will be one, the one to watch for sure. The F1 is on ABC. NASCAR is on FS1. Um, another, yep. But when you had like, like you brought up Coda versus Kansas last year, the Kansas playoff race, even though it had poor attendance uh, and Coda attendance was booming, right? Um, they ended up Kansas NASCAR race ended up getting like 900,000 more viewers overall. Now, obviously NASCAR has a, you know, over 50 demographic that really lifts them up. So it could be close with the 18 to 49 year olds. We'll see on that. But, um, I think aside from the rating, NASCAR is not going to like it, but a lot of the attention in the sports world, at least the motorsports world is going to be focused on Miami, uh, this week, the inaugural race, you know, it seems like it's getting a lot of hype, a lot of buzz. Even the F1 people are saying this is going to be their biggest, most hyped, you know, atmosphere the whole year around the world for everywhere they go. I mean, you know, it's a big deal because Jeff Buck's going to be there. Boy, that, that's a pretty poor measurement, isn't it? Um, but speaking bar, of actual gonna... people that actually matter, Tom Brady, uh, Adam Stern tweeted out the Daily Mail's report of a list of these celebrities that are planning to attend, and you know, LeBron, Pharrell, um, you know, pretty big, pretty big names. I'm sure there's going to be many more, you know, celebrities to come that we don't even know about. So. That's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of hype for that one. We'll we'll see. It's going to be fascinating to uh, to see the atmosphere down there. A lot of people upset about the Miami race in some ways. Uh, they're upset. First of all, you see the the pictures of the uh, fake marina. Oh, I saw. I saw. I uh, I don't want to say too much. I just I, I saw. Yeah. So uh, you know, obviously this they originally wanted to have this Formula One Grand Prix around the cruise terminal uh, across the causeway there, and I think mm-hmm. down through a tunnel. And, yeah, uh, across a bridge too. Remember? Yeah, the causeway bridge. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the, that's how you get to the the cruise terminal there, right off. I didn't realize it was called the causeway. Isn't it? I think it is. I, I don't know. I just called it a bridge. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, they wanted to race over the water and around the the bayfront area there, and then I think the residents there were like, "No, we're like, not going to do that." Actually, Miami proper. <laughs> yeah. Um. So now they're you know going to run it in the parking lot of the Dolphin Stadium. However, they've it, from all the pictures we've seen so far, it looks quite nice i mean it looks like an f1 track now one thing they had to do was you know they created a quote beach in air quotes uh you know where all these artists post malone chain smokers zed tiesto are all going to play at this beach club kind of thing but they also created this fake harbor where you know they they it's shown from the designs they're going to put these yachts in uh 
you know, it's, it's not attached to water. They were just going to like put the yachts in and all stuff. Well, then these pictures came out of the water is like, at least unless they put water on top of it, which I'm not sure they're going to, the water is fake. It's, it's not real water. It's like wooden water or something, some sort of plastic water, uh, around these boats. And so of course the F1, uh, F1 Twitter, especially the Europeans, um, think that's, you know, hokey. They did not like that. Um, so, you know, that, that's one thing. Another thing, um, I've seen on, on Twitter, a lot of the race fans, uh, at least that we interact with upset uh, about the, they're, you know, they're not gonna be able to go because even the general admission pass is $900. Uh, the grandstand tickets are like over $2,000 and Miami the you know, they had capped it at 80,000 people because they wanted to make sure that they weren't going to overdo it their first year. Um, and make sure that everybody can have a good experience. I think they said they, they thought they could fit like 200,000 or something, but they instead capped it at 80,000, which is basically making it an event for wealthier people, right? Uh, it's not your average race fan who's going to be able to go to this. So already some, uh, you know, angst, I guess about the, the Miami race in some ways, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes off. Um, it looks, you know, again, from social media pictures, it looks like it's going to be quite the spectacle, but we'll see, you know, what do you think? It's got, I'm, I think year one is going to be a lot of hype and I think it's going to be measured as success just because of all the attention and, and, you know, the hoopla surrounding it. And I've said this before, like you can't measure this race off of year one. It's what happens in year two, year three, year four, and seeing if this has any staying power or not. And yeah, this is going to be great and this is going to be fun, but I don't know. Ultimately, it's going to be measured. People come back and they're still excited a year from now. That to me is the measuring stick. Yeah, this is this is new and fresh and exciting, but we'll see. Well, I mean, the thing about F1 is it seems like if there is a date for them that's not working, they'll just get rid of it. They do. They yeah. have a ten, and I will say this: they have a ten-year contract with the promoters for this race. But as we know, with contracts, those are there's a lot of options included in those that are you know you can get out of. Right. I mean, look, if this I, and I, I don't think it will flop. I think people will want to come back to this. I, you know, especially because it's an international destination too, and they're certainly going to show many pictures of Miami Beach and the cars and all the stuff. People are going to go, "Wow, I want to go to that." Um, and you can see the F1 drivers; many of them have already arrived, and they're you know, posting their enthusiasm for the United States. They love the United States and they're all over the place from coast to coast. Uh, I, I've seen the ones I follow on social media, just see, you know, Oh, love this country, love this city. What up? You know, all this stuff. So I think it will have staying power. I just, you know, I don't know what the hype will be. You know, the hype next year is going to be for the Vegas night race, but we'll mm -hmm. see how this goes. Uh, before we conclude this, um, there was an actual race that went off on time yesterday and we would have talked about it yesterday but we'll save it for today so that was the barber indycar race um padua ward after sort of having one eye on f1 and then being disillusioned with his contract situation yeah, disillusioned a lot of hard feelings there yeah interesting. he was you know uh nathan brown um from the indianapolis star has been documenting this uh really well with uh, a few stories but you know pato obviously his feelings were really hurt uh, you could at least tell when, when McLaren said, Hey, Colton Herta, would you like to be our test driver after Pato had gotten to go test F1, gotten good feedback on it. And, and then, already drove for McLaren. Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and then he was like, Oh man, I, you know, this is what I really want to do. And they're like, Hey, Colton Herta. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, he, he apparently wasn't happy with his IndyCar deal in general, but now apparently that's gotten sorted out or about to get sorted out. And He's a happy guy again, and he wins the first race after that has seemingly been resolved. And uh, I, I, I can't buy into the, hey, that solved everything and, you know, just one oh, no. one little fix, but certainly a nice coincidence for them. Yeah, I think you nailed it there with your kind of recap. And, you know, money money has a long way of kind of, you know, soothing over hurt feelings and everything. But still, if your dream is to race Formula One and you're driving for a team that owns a Formula One team, you're like, Yo, hello, right here, raising my hand, like, pick me, pick me, pick me. Okay, you're picking him instead. You can't, that that hurts, and that's really hard to get over. But the only thing, I mean, at the end of the day, though, what you have to do is go to win, and that that's the difference between him and Colton. Like, Colton's gone out and won. Like, he's won races and made himself a factor consistently. Paddle still has to do that, and 
And, and until you, you do that, like you don't really have a case and you want to build your case, do what you did yesterday. You go win at Barber, go win a bunch more races. I guarantee you McLaren's going to look at you a lot differently. On the other flip side of that, Colton Herta has just oh. been really pressing this year. Um, this year he does well, this all the time. Nashville last year too. You could make an argument for it. Yeah. But, um, you know, he obviously will have some races where he's dominant and super fast and just blows everybody away. But then there's times when it's just like, maybe the car's not there or is, or he's having to push and, you know, a mistake happens and takes himself out of it. Um, you could argue it is position in the standings right now. Maybe he feels like he's forced into doing that, but rough, rough, uh, to see him make self-inflicted mistakes, you know? Same thing I said, I said it last week or I said it what, two weeks ago, like at Long Beach, like, man, this is somebody who's got a lot of speed and a lot of talent, but he just keeps messing up. And I don't know how you can look at his performance in IndyCar and I know he's winning races and think that he can put, he can go to Formula One and put together clean mistake-free weekends on a regular basis. He can't do that in IndyCar. How the hell is he going to do that in Formula One? Well, it's, I mean, it's tough. Um, you know, I, I would have said that he was the pre-race, the preseason favorite um, based on how he ended last year. And, and you think, okay, he's going to be a championship contender this year. He's now sunk to 11th in points. He has no podiums this year. Um, it's, it's tough, man. It's, uh, you know, he got the pole at Long Beach. You know, he was, he led 28 laps. It's looking good. You know, we documented that. Ooh, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's kind of getting, uh, you know, just a little bit uncomfortable. You know, at some point you're just going to have to be like, look, we need a reset here, but it's tough to do. I mean, you look at Alexander Rossi and you know, when sort of, it, it seems like sometimes when you find yourself in a hole, you find yourself in a rut you know, as, as a driver, you know, you just want to try a little bit harder and that's, it, it just seems to backfire sometimes like it, no matter what you do. I, I think it's sort of remarkable that, um, Alex Pillow wins the IndyCar title last year. Right. And it was sort of like, okay, that's nice. And then nobody was really talking about him this year. Mm -hmm. And now he's retaking the points lead mm -hmm. after four races. And he's he also a better start to, this year than he was a year ago. It's in terms of more uh, yeah. collected points overall. Yeah. Three podiums and four races, but he's so quiet. I mean, like in terms of people talking about him, it just doesn't, he's yeah. not really on the radar, but, uh, yet he's, he's doing quite well. So fascinating yeah. to watch that. But yeah. And you have to wonder if like he continues and keeps this up, like you have to think his stock is going to continue to rise. And all of a sudden the talk about who's going to be plucked from IndyCar to go to formula one, like that's going to shift and, and it rightly should shift to Alex at that point. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you don't even really hear much buzz about that, but, you know, I don't know. He, he's 25 years old, though, where Pato and Colton are only 22, so, you know, maybe that's, I don't know if it's already passed him by, but, you know, you if you're going to go to F1, old. you've got to get in this whole system, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, are you willing to run F2 for a year? Are you willing to not race at all and be a reserve driver? you know, and just do some practice sessions and give up a whole season of your life. I mean, and I, and I don't, and I will say, I do not know Alex blow. Well, we've spoken a couple times, very nice young man. I, I do not know what his aspirations are, you know, you know, career wise. I mean, Colton has been very adamant. He wants to race formula one. We know what Pat always said the same thing. Like I, I don't know what Alex wants to do ultimately. And that, that, and that's the big question. Yeah. Well, either way, um, a much needed, victory for Pato award. And, uh, we'll see where, if he can keep up this momentum, you know, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. Good title fight so far too, because it's, it's, you kind of look like it's just kind of a little bit ebb and flow and everybody's setting up and new garden, not a good weekend at all for him. I mean, just a lost weekend at Barber and looked like he had a firm control in the championship. And then it just went sideways for him. Yeah. Well, that's, not the first time uh, he's had an incident at Barber. <laughs> no, I um, derailed him last year too. Yeah. So, uh, Jordan, uh, I don't really have any final thoughts unless you want to talk about the all-star race format or anything like that. I mean, do you got any thoughts on the all-star race format? I mean, we're probably getting into it as we get closer. We can save it for later. Yeah. I mean, I mean we're going to have plenty of time to discuss it. So it's, you know, I was underwhelmed, I guess. Uh, what, what, what you know, you I've already said my idea. I mean, on this podcast, on Twitter for years now, 
They're never going to do it. They're never going to do Why it. Why don't so they I, listen to you, Jeff? Why do not, they not? Why listen? would they listen to me? Why would they? Because That's it's a, a better great question. idea. You're a smart man. You got a great idea. Okay. Why are they not listening to you? Be, uh, probably because I'm me. <laughs> what you're so <laughs> wonderful. No, no, no. They're not listening to me because I'm me. <laughs> like they're looking like this, this schmuck, this guy who just whines and you know, hates everything. Why, why would we listen to this guy? Absolutely not. We will not automatically disregard any idea this guy comes up with. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the all-star race. Cause like I said, it's going to be here before we know it. And I'm sure we'll break it all down. I'm sure it'll be a great podcast. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, everybody, we appreciate you as always for listening. And, uh, I do know that we have some exciting stories coming up on the athletic this week. Usually yeah. we just say, Oh, we've got some good stuff. You want to talk about what we have coming up? Are you confident enough that they're going to be? Published? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I always, I always say like, oh, I've got this story coming up and right. like, things move and everything. And tell, tell, tell everybody who you talked to for 30 minutes on the phone the other day. Talk to George Russell on the phone for 30 minutes. Talk to Toto Wolf for about 15 to 20 minutes. And, uh, Toto was great. George was great too. George was fun and cool story. And, and, you know, about, uh, I don't know what the, we talked a lot about it, a lot of different things, but you know, it, I guess the nutshell is this is, you know, George 16 years old sent total wolf, uh, an email basically saying, Hey, here's why you need to hire me. Like, and you, I'm your guy and put together basically a, a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> and uh total liked what he saw and put him in the driver developmental program. And, you know, he worked his way up. So really cool. George was great to talk to, uh, never had an opportunity. That was fun. And, and Toto was, uh, Toto was Toto. Toto was glib and fun. And he looked very tired though. He's got a lot on his plate. I can imagine. Yeah. They've, they've got a lot to turn around. Um, as for me, uh, I'm, I'm please, uh, keep your eyes peeled Wednesday, uh, which is already in a couple days. Uh, I have a story on Sage Karam coming out so good. and, uh, I, I hope that you guys will read it. It's, um, I believe it's going to be the, the featured story of the day on, on the athletic, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, hopefully you guys give it a chance. Uh, something I've put a lot of work into and, um, I'll just leave it there. Please keep your eyes out for that. And also you did a great job a, with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Also, uh, well 12 done. questions with Kyle Larson. It's coming up this week. Um, I don't know. We, I feel like we have a lot coming up. So oh, we anyway. got a lot. I mean, I've got, I've got two other big stories this week. And so we got plenty of coverage on the athletic this week. And the people who said they want F1 coverage, there'd be no shortage of that as well. So, uh, you can check that out by going to theathletic.com slash the teardown and you will see the latest deal. Give us, uh, give us some support, give us a subscription and you can read all our work as well as everything that the athletic has to offer. Anyway, we appreciate you as always for listening and we will talk to you next time on the teardown.